Father, we just come to you this morning and we thank you for this time that we can come and just be in your presence. God, that we can stop in the middle of a busy season and God, we can just stop and say, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. God, I pray over us, God, as, as we just bear, as we go through the holiday season, God, it's so easy to get lost in all the things that are going on. But Father, I pray that we would be a people who are so focused on the gift that you gave us, on the gift of Jesus, that all the other things fail in comparison with the gift that you gave us. Father, we love you and we pray that you're glorified in our worship and we pray that you'd speak to our hearts this morning as we hear your word. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this morning and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. 
King Herod was a piece of work. King Herod was a Gentile. King Herod was an egomaniac. King Herod was a great builder. He had vision about architecture and vision about building grandiose buildings. In fact, one of his political moves in order to gain the confidence and the appreciation of the Jewish people was he remodeled the temple, and it later became known of Herod's temple, and he made it bigger, he made it greater, he made it far more spectacular. He built fortresses to protect himself. He was paranoid, and uh, he built a, a fortress at Caesarea that uh, archaeologists and, and historians say was the most unbelievable palace there was in the world at that time. He was one of the first to, to call for the construction of building a port that would survive the winter. And, and he challenged and he led the Roman uh, authorities to develop ways to pour cement underwater. And he was one of the first to be able to do that. And that fortified the port there in Caesarea so that it could be used during the winter. He was appointed by the Romans uh, to be over the Jewish people. And since that appointment came, his assignment was that because the Romans valued peace after they conquered somebody, which is kind of an interesting thing, isn't it? And, and his role was basically to keep the Jewish people controlled, to keep them pacified. And if he did that, he had uh, the Roman support. He had, he had support of their soldiers, their money, their resources. And if he was able to, to do enough good things for the Jewish people, then he had their support. And he enjoyed long periods of time where he had both the support of the Roman uh, establishment, and he had the support of the Jewish establishment. So he was indeed a great, great, powerful man. But he was a nut job. He was evil. He became paranoid, and that's one of the reasons why he built such big palaces that were fortresses. Because he was always thinking the Romans were about to come get him, or he was thinking the Jews were about to turn it on him. He believed that his life was going to be absolutely taken over at some point. And so he was not going to tolerate any rival, any rival at all. Fact is, later in life, and probably just a little bit uh, after this story that happened here we're talking about today and when the birth of Jesus he became so paranoid that he believed his own wife was plotting against him with two of her brothers and even one of his own sons, and he had them executed. And so that was the way he operated. Anyone that opposed him, anyone that was going to take away his position, he did away with. And so he is, at this particular time, extremely powerful and extremely dangerous. He, he was a crazy man. Now, Joseph, he didn't have any power. Mary, she didn't have any power. And Jesus, the Messiah, we understand him to be, to be the son of God. Obviously, there's great power to come. And, and he has access to the father, of course. But a vulnerable baby. And, and to me, it's an amazing thing that... Jesus, from a human perspective, a human reason, now we know God was at work and protected him, 
but it's an amazing, amazing thing that testifies to the strength of God that, that Jesus survived the first two years of his life. Now, when the wise men show up, we're not quite sure. Most people believe it's between Jesus' birth, of course, and he was before he turned two years old because he had to flee uh, and get away from Bethlehem and get away from Israel in Judah so that he could survive. And so it was during that particular time that the wise men came. It wasn't at the birth of Christ. It was sometime afterwards, but we don't really know. But every child, every male child born uh, during that particular time, from the time that the wise men saw the star until the two years old, was executed in the land. Isn't that an amazing thing to have happen? Can you imagine the mind of a man that would call for that? Crazy. That tells me that he would stop at nothing to stop the king of the Jews from gaining momentum, from growing up and becoming his rival. So when I read this story and I think about Herod, when I think about his power, when I think about the level that he could stoop to in his evil, when, when I think about that he would not allow even his own family, which was not a true case, by the way, that even his own family he would execute if he thought they were against him. We know that Herod would absolutely stop at nothing. All right. Now, the story of Herod ought to be an encouragement to us today. So, well, how in the world can that be? Well, let's just kind of go through here and let's look at a few ideas and, and see if towards the end of this, we can't go, man, it is an encouragement to me. First of all, I think there's no question that the spirit of Herod is alive today. The spirit of Herod. Now, in verse 1, it says that Herod reigned. He reigned. Now, he valued most his position. He, he loved the power. He loved the respect. He loved the idea of being known as King Herod. He reigned. And he reigned with an with a iron fist. And, and we can learn from this that what we value will either break us or make us. And of course, what Herod valued the most was the fact that he reigned, ended up breaking him. But of course, people that were around him and then thought there's no way in the world Herod is not going to get his way. Herod reigned. So he's powerful. We've established that, I think. Herod was disturbed when he heard about the birth of the king of the Jews. It says that not only was he disturbed, but all Jerusalem with him. They're disturbed about that. Herod was willing to be deceptive, and he was deceptive with the wise man, and he had a secret meeting with him, and he said, you guys go find this king of the Jews and let me know so I can come and worship him. And so he was willing to trick, he was willing to lie, he was willing to deceive. Herod became furious in verse 16. He was furious when he realized the wise men had outwitted him. When, when the Lord came to them and says, don't return back to Herod, it's not a good idea, of course. 
And so the wise man went a different way, and they outwitted him, and he became furious, and it was, it was that deep-rooted anger that caused him to say, all right, then, we're going to kill all the males, all the newborns, two years and younger. We'll just wipe them out. And so we see that he will go to no depth of evil to get what he wants. And so you couple his... his uh, Serial killer heart, you know, they profile this guy. He, he's, he's, he's wacko. He has no value of human life. He's only concerned with his own power. He's only concerned with his own position. And you put that together when this great power that he had, you've got a real enemy. And Jesus has always had an enemy. We have always had an enemy, and the enemy is horrible, just like Herod was. Now, you think about Joseph being a young man, Mary being a young gal, and, and they don't have all these resources, and they don't have all this power, and they're running for their life with a baby. Man, are they not vulnerable? How in the world did they make that? How were they able to escape Herod's reach? How were they able to protect that baby? It's hard to run with a baby. You ever run through a baby at an airport? It's hard to do, right? I mean, I've never had anyone with a gun coming after me with a baby in my hand, but I hate to have that happen. I mean, having something bad happen that you've got to escape is hard enough, but to have a baby with you and you've got to escape with that baby, that's a very difficult thing. Powerful man is Herod. A powerful, evil man. Now, I think it's, there's no question that we ought to be encouraged with the fact that Jesus survived. God protected Jesus. We should be encouraged with the fact that God protected Jesus. Now, there's a lot of conflict and struggle happen with the birth of Christ. We saw the conflict and the struggle with Mary and Joseph when um, the news was, was uh, uh, when they found out that she was pregnant with a child, being a virgin, in their engagement time. There was struggle within Joseph. He loved her. He cared for her. He was going to divorce her quietly and not disgrace her, not shame her uh, as best that he could. And we see that there was great struggle in the land for Jesus coming to the world because in a spiritual sense, there was such an explosion of good in the world, of hope that happened through the birth of Christ, of love that exploded in the world, that evil could not sit still. That's an amazing thing. You know, when you jump into the pool, the water moves, doesn't it? And when this implosion of, of holiness, of great spiritual power came into the world, obviously Satan and his demons and those evil forces and the world was beside themselves with Christ coming into the world. And there was this huge spiritual, invisible movement 
to stop that. Now, with Jesus and the advance of the gospel, the gift of the good news, the work of the body of Christ, the spiritual activities that we are involved in, when we are seeking with all of our heart to advance the kingdom of God and Jesus being born and coming, uh, becoming a man, God becoming a man is an advancement of the kingdom of God, there is a great force that works against that. And Satan is, he's taken, he's taken the gloves off here. And he's working through the life of Herod. There's always been hatred towards Jesus. There's always been hatred towards Jesus and his followers. Jesus said there would be. Jesus very clearly told his disciples, you will be hated because of me. And there's no question about that today. Just think about in our day and time that the spirit of Herod is alive and well today. Just think about our culture here in the United States. We have freedom of religion. That's right. We, we have the ability to assemble. That's right. We still have that. Did you know that in many places in our country now, that if you have Bible studies that meet in homes, that because of the parking violations, that, that there have been laws put together that you can have no gathering in, com in certain communities and so they have, in order to stop having these Bible studies in people's homes and gatherings of Christian people, people believe that they have made it to where you cannot have more than one or two guests at a time in your home. So if you've got a birthday party, you need to go somewhere public. You need to go to Pizza Inn, Pizza Hut, Shakey's, what we used to do in San Angelo. You need to go someplace to where you can gather because you can't gather in your home in some of those places. Now, what is, what is that all about? That's a beginning step to stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. Because what do God's people do? They get together. Especially in some places in our, in our country is when, when uh, uh, there's a lack of church activity, there's a lack of churches, there's not one around them, but oftentimes they meet in their homes because of the cost of land and because there's not many believers around, and that's how they advance the kingdom around them, and it's being stopped. You can't put the Ten Commandments in some public buildings now. That's because they were advancing the kingdom. That's just one of the things you do. You can't pray in school anymore. That's one of the things that happens. You know, you can't do this, you can't do that. You can't wear your Christianity on your sleeve. Now, other people can wear their beliefs on their sleeve, but you can't wear your Christian beliefs on your sleeve. Now, if you're a Christian that doesn't get carried away and you don't believe that people without Christ are lost, if you don't believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and if you don't believe that Jesus is the only way, and if you will be inclusive with everyone else and you'll just coexist like the bumper sticker says, and you just get along with everybody, and if you're willing to say that you believe this faith is okay, this religion is okay, and this religion is okay, and you're not saying that Christ is the only way of salvation, even though that's what the Bible says, then you can, you can assemble and you can get along with us and you can be part of our community. But if you're going to stand strong and say that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, then you are intolerant and we're not going to play fair with you. And any group that wants to advance the kingdom of God is going to come against this hatred. Think about how this hatred... Has, has been in our world 
And Jesus is still at work. Think about how people's flesh gets in the way of people living for Christ. And Jesus still works through a remnant, through a group. He still has people who do his work. He still has people that are on fire for him. He still has people that are not going to, 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 to grow in, 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 into a cold vacuum of, of hopelessness when it comes to Christ. He faces enemies at every turn, yet he still reigns. You see, the, the, the story of Herod teaches me something I think is really, really important. Jesus cannot be stopped. He cannot be stopped. Herod, with all his power, couldn't stop Jesus. He cannot be stopped. It doesn't matter. We have seen in countries that have great power that has stamped or stomped out Christianity, they don't stop Jesus. Matter of fact, one of the best things to happen to, to the advancement of God's kingdom in a place is to make Christianity illegal. I mean, honestly, if that would happen in our country, it, it'd probably be a pretty good thing for the advancement of the gospel because it is everywhere. You just can't stop Jesus. You can make a law that it's not okay to share your faith. You can make a law it's not okay to celebrate Christmas. You can make a law that it's not okay to have a, bu a Bible in public. You can, you can ban the scriptures. You can do all those things. You can ban God's people assembling together. You can say you can only come to these certain churches who believe these things, and all those things they believe is watered down, and, and the government may think, all right, we're giving it a little bit. Here's a church. And so they can say the rest of the world that they allow Christian churches to exist, but you can do all those things and in those pews, in those churches where they are so heavily monitored about what they believe, what they teach, and what they do, Jesus is all over that place at work. He can't be stopped. Jesus can't be stopped. Now, think about that from your own life. Think about that from that your personal life today, right here, in the last few days of 2019, a long, long way from the day of Christ, Jesus cannot be stopped in and around your life. He can't be stopped. So what should your attitude be about that? What should your position be? What should you value because of that? How should your life look because of that? Well, you can begin right away. Should we be defeated? No. Should we ever be discouraged? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We should, we should not be discouraged about the things of Christ because it doesn't matter how forceful the enemy is attacking the advancement of the gospel of Christ, the kingdom of God, you can't stop Jesus, so hang in there. Should we be without hope? No. Should we be without faith? No. Should we be growing and moving forward in the victory? Absolutely we should. 
Absolutely we should, because Jesus cannot be stopped. It may look bad. It may be bad. It may look like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. It may look like the situation is bad, that nothing can get better. But if Jesus can't be stopped, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. You may hurt, you may suffer, you may struggle, you may not endure well, but rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Jesus Christ cannot be stopped. If Herod couldn't stop him, nobody can stop him. Governments can't stop him. Militaries can't stop him. Even cold, rigid, uh, uh, religious People can't stop him because there's always someone in love with God, in love with people, and God is going to work through them. He can't be stopped. He can't be stopped in Cambodia. He can't be stopped in Europe. It looks like he's being stopped in Europe, doesn't it? I mean, today there's cathedrals all across Europe with nobody in them. He's not being stopped in Europe. He's at work. It's hard ground. It's difficult ground. You put, you put that plow on the ground or that chisel on the ground, and it hits hard rock. But it's being put down in the ground in Europe today. And, and the advancement of God's kingdom is happening all across our world. And just like in the day of Christ, in the day where, in the places where it's the greatest struggle you see Jesus shining the brightest. So we ought to celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas because we get to. And we should worship him with all of our heart. We should celebrate him. We should bow down, as the song says. We rejoice in Christ. The Savior is born. We have hope. We have love, we have victory, we have faith, we have belief, we have family, we have the body of Christ, we have forgiveness, we have security in Christ, we have the promises of God's word for us. The Spirit of God is at work and cannot be stopped. And that's what Christmas tells us. Now, I want to leave you with something. I want you to think about this. I did not write this thing. I don't know who did. I think I might have improved on it a little bit. But I want you to think about this. If Jesus is not the Messiah, then believers and unbelievers break even. Andre Kraut said, the old singer back in the 70s said, if heaven never was promised to me, even God's possibility... I still have something, right? And what he was saying was, is my life, as I've lived in Christ, if it's wrong, it's benefited me here. And so I've lost nothing. So this is how I word it. If Jesus is not the Messiah, believers and unbelievers, they break even. All right. That's all there is. This is it. We were duped. We were misled. We followed a false teaching. But we... we we had friends through it. We had good experiences through it. The preachers all lied all the time, though, but we just got over it, and that's all there is if Jesus is not the Messiah. If Jesus is the Messiah, unbelievers lose 
everything. Man, if Jesus is the Messiah, unbelievers, holy cow, they lose everything. If what the scriptures say are true, if Jesus is the Son of God, if the words of Jesus are true, then unbelievers lose everything. Listen to me. If you're an unbeliever, if you've not placed your faith in Christ, if you've not heard the voice of God or you've not received the voice of God or, or trusted the voice of God or followed the voice of God and, and, and you've, been, you've been taught or schooled or someone's tried to share with you about Christ and you've rejected him, please listen to me. If it's true, you lose everything. You lose everything. That's a horrible, horrible thing. But if Jesus is the Messiah, believers gain everything. So we get to live with nothing to lose. We get to live with nothing to lose. That's, how, that's, that's, that's who we are in Christ. We absolutely, completely win in Jesus. We don't lose. We lose a couple little battles here. We, we lose a couple skirmishes. Sure, there's some hard times. We're not promised a rose garden. Life is hard, but we believe in Christ. He is the Messiah. We gain everything. If they kill us, we go to heaven. Forever. We have everything. So we can live with, with joy, with hope, with faith, with possibility, with enthusiasm, with just, all right then. Here's my life. This is what I have. I can just live for him, unfettered, just selfishly with reckless abandon because Jesus is the Messiah. And so just quickly, if Herod couldn't stop him, he must not be able to be stopped. Oh, let's pull together and worship Jesus with all of our heart because he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the chosen one. He is the one that we hope in. Amen. Lord, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts today. Father, I, I just pray for those that are struggling with their faith, are struggling with their life. Maybe they're discouraged today. Maybe they're, may, maybe they're going through the struggle of the holidays. Maybe they look around them and go, everybody is appearing to be happy, and, and they just don't seem to be able to muster that up. Lord, I pray today that you'll just... Remove all the obstacles. And regardless of emotion, regardless of feelings, Lord, that, that your spirit will guide them to see that you are, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus was born, that God, you did become a man, and we are benefactors for that. We are blessed because of that. We receive salvation for that. And, and Lord, just, just help us to get our eyes off of ourselves, our circumstances, and on to you. 
Lord, I know for my own life, Lord, when I'm only looking at my circumstances and I'm only looking at how things are and I'm only looking at things through my reason, I, I, I see how it's hard to, to rejoice. But Lord, when my eyes are on you and my eyes are not on the way things are, but my eyes are on you and what you have done and, and, and my hope is fixed on you, Lord, you do lift my heart. You do lift my spirit. You do encourage. You do strengthen. And Lord, we're grateful for that. Lord, if there's anyone here that is not a believer, I pray, Lord, your spirit will convict their heart of their need for you, and they'll receive you, Lord, today. Lord, that they'll just open up their heart to you and say yes to you, Lord, to agree with you about their sin to agree that Jesus is the Lord of all, that he died on the cross for our sin, and he rose from the grave. And Lord, that belief that you're giving them, they will just release to you. Lord, I pray that you'll work. May your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, come forward.